0: Our scripture text for this morning comes from James chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. Let us listen for God's word. My brothers and sisters, do you with acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, And if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, Have a seat here, please, while to the one who is poor you say, Stand there, or sit at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it, is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For the one who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but if you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak. And so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. For mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but you have no works? Can faith save you? For brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food. And if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Anyone here have a friend that excels at being blunt The distance between what they're thinking and what they're saying is really just the moments that it takes for them to form the words. If a hard conversation needs to be had, this is the person that you count on. But if the situation needs tact, you tell that person to stay quiet. In fact, you don't even invite them to come because they will be speaking their mind in the Bible. This blunt friend of ours is the entire book of James. James might as well open up by saying, listen up, I've got something to say. A friend like that can be a disaster, which is why James is some people's least favorite book of the Bible. Martin Luther himself didn't even think the book of James should be in the Bible at all. A friend like this can be a bit of a bull in a china shop. It can do some real damage. But there are other times when a friend like this is invaluable. I have a friend like this. Her name is Megan. Sometimes in polite conversation, she accidentally steps on toes. Sometimes it's not so much an accident as it is a personality trait. Megan excels at being blunt, and sometimes her bluntness even alienates people. But this friend of mine, Megan, she works in a psychiatric hospital as a chaplain, and she doesn't work at just any psychiatric hospital. She works at one that is primarily occupied by those who have committed crimes, but on account of mental illness, could not be put into a traditional prison. Suffice to say, it's a rather intense place to work. The need that people bring, need for healing and comfort and transformation, is often immense. Cause for laughter and cause for tears, they often crowd on top of one another. This friend of mine, Megan, was preaching a sermon there, an Easter sermon. She got to the point in the Gospel text where Jesus is dead and buried in the tomb. At which point, a patient in the facility, a patient who firmly believes that he is Jesus Christ, collapsed to the ground, loudly crying out, I'm dead, not being satirical. The boundaries between reality had been blurred for him. As she continued in her sermon, getting to the point where Jesus is raised from the dead, he leapt up and began dancing, saying, I am alive again. You have to laugh a little. And then upon reflection, you have to think about the confusion that haunts that man's heart and mind. Working at this hospital, Megan has to be willing to be blunt. She has patients who believe they are well-served by drug habits or who prefer to blame the world for all of the things that have happened in their lives instead of working themselves into change. At times she has to sit them down and say, Listen, you believe this thing. You believe that you can control the weather with your mind or that the world is literally out to get you or that you are, in fact, Jesus Christ. But the thing is, that belief doesn't really seem to be helping you. Her being blunt isn't rude. It's caring about them enough to have a hard conversation so that they can change. James is this friend in the Bible. He excels at being blunt, and it makes him a great advocate for those in need which is why James is generally your go-to when people want to preach about caring for the poor and the needy. James cares about it. James expects all of us to care about it, too. But this passage is not just about the poor. It is, of course, but there's more here than that. Some use this passage as part of some social justice war between the wealthy and the poor. But notice this, because it's really easy to miss. This passage is not even written to some generalized group of rich people, as if there is such a category. James is writing to call people out for being blind. The passage is not about the money you have. It's about how you see people. James is less worried about pocketbooks and more worried about our eyes, about our vision. You see, James is firmly convicted that the world is no longer the same as it was before Jesus. Before Jesus, we were defined by our sins. We were defined by what we could do. We were defined by our accomplishments. You see the example here in the story. If you see someone walk in wearing fine clothes and gold rings decked out to the nines, and you say, hey, come sit with me, let's be friends. And then see a person in dirty clothes walk in and say, there's room in the corner or you can sit in the back. Whoever James is writing to is prone to judge others by outward appearances. They are prone to treat people according to how they look, according to worldly standards. James is a gift to the church because he feels free to be blunt. He lays it all out on the table. When James writes to his audience, he's telling them, you've been judging people by the world's standards. You've been assessing people by whether or not they are poor in the world. Now, poor in the world can be a financial situation. It can be not having money to put food on your table for your kids, to pay the bills, to help somebody in a situation in need. But poor is not just about money. Poor in the world is mental illness, someone whose brain doesn't do what they tell it to. Their emotions might run wild, racing up and down in chaotic and stressful fluctuations. It may be constant confusion or lasting spells of depression and anxiety. The world looks at them and sees mental poverty. Poor in the world is someone whose past is less than squeaky clean. They have a trail of mistakes a mile long in a whole town that knows about them. The world looks at them and sees moral poverty. Poor in the world is a body that is failing, that is giving way under the weight of illness or age. Increasingly, they can't accomplish all the things that they used to. They can't give to people the same ways that they used to. The world looks at them and sees physical poverty. Poor in the world is the kid or the youth or the adults or the senior who looks around and wonders who even cares about them is not recognized on the street, is not often thought of or envied. They're not desired for their popularity, so the world looks at them and sees social poverty. These things are worldly poverty. And this text from James, it asks us an improper question, an overly personal question. James wants to know if we judge people by their dirty laundry, if we judge people by their poverty. Because James knows that we have the tendency to judge by appearance. He's seen it happen. What's the issue here for James? The specific example he seems to allude to is someone who still sees the person with gold rings and fine clothes as more valuable, more worthwhile than the person with the dirty clothes. But that person's not seeing the new reality. They see things the way they were. They don't see these people as both defined by Christ. They still see both people as defined by their clothes, defined by what they have, and just as much defined by what they don't have. I mentioned earlier this friend of mine named Megan and how she has to have hard conversations at work. There she must confront the mentally ill about how their beliefs have not been serving them well and how they need to reinvestigate things. But part of what I treasure about Megan is that she is willing to sit down with me and ask the same questions. She is willing to sit down with me and say, Listen, the way you do this, it isn't working. You can do better. Her bluntness, whether at the hospital or sitting on my couch, all comes from a place of wanting the best for others. She's not blunt because she doesn't care. She's not blunt because she's trying to pick a fight. She's blunt out of a place of love. James loves the congregation he's writing to. So he sits them down and he says, Listen, the way you've been doing things, it isn't working. To put it as bluntly as James does, he's saying that when we see the world according to human standards, we don't understand what Jesus has done. We've missed it. When we see the world by human standards, we reveal that we don't yet fully believe that Jesus has changed everything, changed everything on the cross by giving of his blood and his body for us. The crux of the matter is that famous line from James, Faith without works is dead. The truth behind this is very simple. Imagine for me that you're a doctor. A patient walks into your office and they clearly have a broken arm. You say to them, listen, here's the thing. You have a broken arm, so you need to stop using it right now and put it in a cast for several weeks. Then we can take another look. This patient is so grateful and exclaims, Oh, thank you. I believe you're right. They bound to their feet and walk out the door, profoundly relieved that they now believe the right thing. Thanks, doctor, they yell as they walk out the door. Several days later, that patient walks back into your office. Their arm is still very much broken. The pain has gotten worse. And that patient looks at with you with frustration and says, Listen, doctor. I've been believing that my arm is broken all week long. I've been believing I need to get it into a cast. So what's all this? I don't feel better at all. I was just out trying to play tennis, and my arm is just flopping around there. If you were a doctor, tell me you wouldn't be a little perplexed. Tell me you wouldn't be a little confused and amazed that this person is so confused, wouldn't you want to look at them and say, listen, you say you believe what I told you is right, but you didn't do anything. You say you believe your arm is broken. You say you believe you need a cast, but the fact of the matter is your actions tell a different story. This is what my friend Megan does. She sits down with people who have beliefs that have gotten them in trouble. When they want to be free of the situations that they're in, in this mental mental institution, without changing any behavior, she has to sit them down and confront them on their beliefs matching their actions. James sits us down and says, Listen, you say you believe in Jesus. I believe that you believe in Jesus, but you still have some growth to do. You still don't see the world as it is. You still don't see how completely everything has been changed by Christ. But James is not being a downer. He's not trying to be rude. He's not trying to make us feel guilty. He's not trying to throw the blame game or tell us that we're not righteous enough. No, the reason James is so blunt is because he wants us. To see something. You are no longer defined by what you have. Period. You are no longer defined by what you don't have. Period. This is a lesson that we have to keep teaching our hearts. And we have to keep teaching it to ourselves over and over again. But more than that, it's a lesson that we have to live in order to receive the benefits. James is worried that the church will hear that its sins have been forgiven and say, ah, thank you. I believe you are right. Jesus Christ has forgiven my sins. And then we'll walk right back out into the same sins that are killing us, pride and greed and shame and bitterness. The good news is that we don't have to keep living this way. Friends, James is worried that we will hear that we are no longer defined by what we have or by what we don't have, that we are only defined by what Christ has done for us, and we will still say, Ah, thank you. I believe you're right. I am defined by Jesus Christ. And then we'll walk out and start chasing the exact same things that we'll walk out and judge people for being mentally poor, spiritually poor, socially poor, financially poor, and the list goes on. if we do, we have not yet received the fullness of the good news that James is proclaiming. Being blunt is not comfortable. Bluntly speaking the truth can make you some enemies in a hurry. But James has been bluntly speaking the truth for centuries because of the depth of his love for us and the conviction of his belief in God that leads to action. He has been bluntly speaking the truth because he believes that Jesus is not just someone you believe in, but that Jesus is someone you follow. Jesus is someone who's changed everything. It's already changed So if you're judging people by the way of the world, it doesn't matter if it is you or someone else. James has something to say. It's quite blunt. James says, you're wrong. They are no longer defined by what they have or what they don't, what they've done or what they haven't. They are defined by following Jesus, in action following Jesus. And they are defined by God's love. You are defined by following Jesus, in action following Jesus. And you are defined by Christ's love for you. If you disagree, well, bluntly speaking, you're wrong. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do believe that you are our Lord and Savior. And so we ask for willing hearts and minds to follow you, to follow you into things that we're not expecting, and to follow you into helping people we never thought we were able to help. Lord, why don't you fill us with hands and feet that march out of these doors, willing and able to help those around us, to love our neighbors in need and to love ourselves as you love us. Remind us again today that we are defined by your love. We are defined by following you. Might that definition precede us so that everyone around us might see the love of God so that they want it too. Lord, we pray all of these things in your holy name, who has saved us. Amen.